Welcome to Our Faith in Writing. I'm Charlotte Donlin. As a writer and a spiritual director for writers, I believe writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. Our Faith in Writing explores the intersection of writing and faith through conversations about the writing process, the reading life, contemplative practices, and more. Thanks for listening. You're about to hear an episode from one of my old podcasts that explores themes connected to our faith in writing. You may hear the Lists of Nine podcast or the Art and Faith Unplugged podcast mentioned during this episode, and that's okay. You're still here with us at Our Faith in Writing. Thanks again for listening. This is part two of my conversation with Kava Akbar and Ashley M. Jones. We are discussing Kava's new book, Pilgrim Bell, which is available now for purchase. You can buy it anywhere you prefer to buy books. The show notes for this episode will include all links to the poems and poets and other resources that are mentioned in part two of our conversation, as well as part one of our conversation. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoy hearing Kava and Ashley discuss poems and the writing process and how writing helps us belong to ourselves, others, the world, and the divine. Speaking of the poem's heartbeat, uncopyrighted, of course, that <laughs> phrase, um, I was thinking about that as I read Pilgrim Bell and this recurring poem, Pilgrim Bell. I mean, I know they're mm-hmm. different poems, but they are the same poem because every poem is kind of, you know, the same poem. Yeah. Yeah. I find, um, at least for me, I'm writing different poems, but they really are the same thing. Mm-hmm. But especially with this Pilgrim Bell series, it's like a thread that continues throughout the book. And something that I really want to ask you, and I will also ask you to read one of the Pilgrim Bells, Um, but I'm really curious about the syntax that you use um, and the rhythm. Speaking of heartbeat, Mm. it's not just a feeling, but also the sound um, when reading the text itself, but also when hearing it. So I'm very curious to hear how it sounds as well. Yeah. I specifically wanted to hear the one on page 18, yours or mine, whichever. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Thank you. Thank you. This is, this is Pilgrim Bell. The stillness you prize won't prize you back. Two beef steaks ripening on a windowsill. A purple tray piled with coal. Become the many-roomed house you walk through in dreams. Show me on the great blue door where it hurts. This is the season where grace is the likeliest, where the uttermost angels weigh down our galaxy with their sound. A silver ring Lost in the bed sheets is still a silver ring. You can either be more holy or more full, but not both. See how the hot element glows red, 
how honey cools the tea. Suppose there was a reason for it. Suppose there wasn't. Thank you. I have to say, this is an example of um, why poetry needs to be consumed in various ways, like not <laughs> just in a book, not mm -hmm. just on a stage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot, especially doing the editing that I've been doing recently. Mm -hmm. I think we limit the delivery of our work like way too much. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the poet Kazem Ali talks about how the Arabic word for breath is the same word as the Arabic word for spirit, ruh, you know? Oh. And, and that's true of, Latin, after, you know, talking to him about this, I realized it's true, you know, Latin spirare is the same thing, like respirate and also spirit, right? Both mm -hmm. come from the same root, you know what I'm saying? And so like, and I think there, I think there are other languages too. I think that we've found other languages for which this is true as well. But I think that this is, this is not new knowledge, right? That there is mm -hmm. something in the breath that can animate a text, right? That, you know, these are just letters on a page, right? A book, a book is just like ink on some pages, right? Until you put it in the air, right? Like a hymnal, right. we, we've been talking about the church, right? Think about like a hymnal, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's just like, that's just like ink on some pages in like a wooden shelf or whatever, mm -hmm. um, or like on, or in a pew until people start singing, right? And then, mm -hmm. and then there's something in, the breath that animates it, right? That makes it alive, that puts the spirit into it, right? And mm -hmm. I think that that's what makes a place holy, right? Is the presence of that mm -hmm. spirit, right? And mm -hmm. and I don't know, I, I believe in that fervently. I believe, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, constantly, constantly reading my poems out loud as I edit and as I compose and as I revise, you know, there's, you know, every poem in this book, I've probably read out loud literal hundreds of times, you know, mm -hmm. and, yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, that's that, again. Like, this is this is a devotional technology. You know, this is a mm -hmm. spiritual technology, which is to say, it calls upon the spirit, the respiration, the breath, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like if you're not already writing this craft book, uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's time um, to yeah. do. That. Is this another another announcement that? Um... <laughs> no, we have no, a no, memoir no, no, no. and a craft book coming. No, 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 absolutely not. I, I, we, we've got Alfred Korn's craft book. What do we need another one for? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would encourage you. I'm going to endeavor to write a craft book. Because yeah, well, well, that one I'll read. That one I'll read. I don't think oh, the world, gosh. yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I teach, I teach a lot. That's a lot of my life. And, uh, mm -hmm. and so hopefully my craft book is just, the work that my students go on to write, which doesn't mm. sound like, which doesn't sound like they don't sound like each other and they don't sound like me, you know? Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's what's exciting. I think we are the same person in that way, <laughs> or maybe in many ways. I yeah, that yeah. I sense, I sense some important simpaticos too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the reason I, I brought up, you know, the delivery of the poem is because when I read this poem by myself in my head, mm -hmm. I was really struck by the like syncopation that exists because mm -hmm. of the like the short sentences mm -hmm. and i thought that was interesting I, I really wanted to know more about why you made that choice mm -hmm. because the 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 phrases do flow together as if connected by a comma but there is no comma there's a period mm -hmm. so i yeah. don't know I, I thought that was very interesting 
Yeah. And I wondered if that like mirrored something in your spiritual practice or <laughs> your relationship to yourself or something like that. Yeah, all good questions. And I wish I had like a, a pretty and smart sounding answer to them. The truth is, you know, I, again, like the poems go out ahead of me. I mean, I think that the, this form, this sound came to me as I was just, you know, sort of messing around with a draft at some point in the past five years, you know, mm -hmm. and it seemed interesting. It seemed like it allowed silence to be a load bearing element of the poem. And maybe like the language mm. is sort of the negative space around which the silence is given shape. Right. So like the silence is actually the substance and the language is just sort of like the plaster mold poured over it. I also think about, down, <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a, this is an exclusive, this is an exclusive. I also think, you know, I also think that, you know, the clanging of a bell, right, mm -hmm. happens mm -hmm. in this way that resonates infinitely. Like there's no end mm -hmm. to the sound a bell makes, right? And so there was something interesting to me about trying to sort of like visually or grammatically impose order upon a sentence that sort of refuses to end, right? The stillness mm -hmm. you prize, period, won't prize you back, right? And so it's like, okay. The bell sound is over and then like the next line is like no it's not you know what i'm saying and and there's something about like the way that the palm sort of rejects the certainty of the period that was interesting to me you know in a book that is so much about learning to sit in uncertainty without groping desperately to resolve it there was something useful about that practice for me mm -hmm. that practice of showing how sort of impotent my attempts to contain the uncontainable are. Does that make sense? It does. And I will say once more, you need to write that down. <laughs> <laughs> I have the I have the podcast. Uh, Charlotte's Charlotte's writing it down for us in sound waves. Yes, I think I might actually have to like just publish a transcript of this whole thing and we'll we'll <laughs> highlight the good parts with the yellow highlight, you know. I mean it's all good parts. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get it. Yeah, I get no, it. Yeah. we heard we'll it the first time, the, Charlotte. Yeah, we heard yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we can cut all the Alfred Corn stuff. No, we got to keep that. We started the war. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to, I'm trying to hang on to my, uh, my empire debt. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, I have no, no uh, loyalty to academia. I think so. Yeah, I'm yeah. good. Yeah, I'm here for poems, not for the academy. Thousand percent. Hey, I, I just got tenure this year, uh, which wow. is a, which is a hilarious thing, which means that I'm unfireable. So I think I can say whatever I want about the academy too. Wow. I think that that's I think that that's how that works. I know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not. I mean, I am not at a tenure earning institution. I teach at a um, a fine arts high school, and I do a low res program as well. But yeah, I'm not in the tenure game. You teach a you teach at a fine arts high school. I used to teach high yeah. school. I used to Did teach. Really? I, yeah, my first life was as a middle school, high school teacher. Wow. So we really yeah. are the same person, I guess. Yeah, like before I went to Tallahassee, I was teaching middle school. Very cool. And I did my student teaching at a. I did my student teaching at a high school, and then I substitute taught for years at Indianapolis Public Schools. Wow, substitute taught. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Honestly, that was like, that was substitute teaching for that time for IPS was like 
the the best sort of pedagogical training that I've had and any, you know, I have a degree in English education. I, you know, I have obviously, you know, I got my PhD, so I had to do a lot of teaching at that level and teacher training courses and da, 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 da. And like nothing has been more important for me than like a week of substitute teaching, let alone like, yeah. as, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like you walk into a classroom in which every student is like, ambivalent at best to your presence at and best. Yes. yeah yeah and you just have to like you just have to like figure out how to you know how to lead you know you have to figure out how to make it work because they're your responsibility for the entire day you know and no one wants to hear like oh you know i just accidentally let them like walk out of the school because i could you know what i mean <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean <laughs> I and so yeah, I mean, I and like once you can once you can teach in that sort of environment, you know, like teaching college kids who are like showing up with like sharpened pencils and shit, you know, right. is, <laughs> that's cake. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely understand the differences there. I mean, I have to say, I do teach at a a really lovely school. My school yeah, is um, yeah. full of very eager beavers. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so. lucky. They're lucky, but to they're have also you. teenagers. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they know like what a big, what a rock star you are? You know, it's funny you should say that. I am the worst <laughs> self promotional person for my students. Like, I try to yeah. do better because that's but why they I'm Google there. you, don't they? They, Google they do, you. and they yeah. get on me all the time about not telling them stuff because I just have to, <laughs> I don't want to be about me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course sure. I want to be like visible, and I'm like, yeah, you can do it. You know. Yeah, but also, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be like, hey, guys, look at this great thing I just did. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd rather celebrate them. I think it's good for them to, like, see you, like, see your glow up the whole way and see that you can, like, do that and be a teacher and da da da, da you know, and you can, like, keep all these balls in the air. You know, I think that that's yeah. actually a really useful model for them to have. I think so, too. I mean, that was definitely my intention with returning yeah. to that school, because that's where I went to high school, actually, the school oh, that I cool. teach at. That's yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I tell them enough. I don't want to paint myself as like someone who never says like anything about myself. I definitely let yeah, them know yeah. what's going on, but yeah, I'm also, I don't know. I just don't like take up space, which I'm actually working on um, <laughs> just as a person. Cause I feel like sometimes we should allow ourselves to take up space, you know, like that's, yeah. especially as a black person, like, yeah, I should be taking up some space. <laughs> yeah. And as a, as a black woman, you know, mm -hmm. I think that, I think that, you know, we live in a society that asks members of both of those communities to take up less space socially, politically, physically, like physiologically mm -hmm. and civically. Right. And and so I think that I think that it's actually actively important to, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I think that my my spouse talks about like they teach a course on epic poetry by women and non-binary poets. Oh, and and like Can you get that syllabus, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll send this in to you. But like they, uh, but they talk about like you know, like if you, I mean, if you think about epic poetry, like you think about like Homer and you think about mm -hmm. the Aeneid, you think about like Dante or Paradise Lost or whatever, whatever. But there are all these poems by women too, you know, um, mm -hmm. since antiquity all these epic poems by women and non-binary poets. And I mean, I'm, I'm stepping on their toes now. This is their, this is their spiel. But I mean, I do think that like in a society that asks people to take up less space in all of these ways, you know, it actually is really potent to just like write in a form where it's just like, I'm going to take up as much space as I need. I'm going to write an epic poem and you can like, yeah. you can dip if you need to, but like, I'm going to take up as much space as I need with this line, with this poem, with this, 
memoir if you actually write that memoir you know which i'm hoping you do you know what i mean like I i'm think in it i'm in it kava like i'm that's awesome I'm essays deep in it so. wow essays deep <laughs> yeah uh that's awesome that's awesome for all of us i hope so oh it is yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm excited yeah well speaking of taking up space i want to let charlotte do her thing because i know she wanted to pivot the conversation a little bit so Charlotte, it's all you. Great. Thank you so much. And before I ask about the um, couple of things I wanted to ask about, I, um, as a non-poet, but as someone who reads poems, um, hearing your conversation has helped me understand a little bit more why poems are prayer for me. And also, mm. you know, I, one reason I love to read poems is because y'all are able to put words around things that I don't have language for. And even mm. my process of writing and how that's also kind of prayer for me, hearing you talk about your work and how you engage work has also put language around like the process of writing and creating. So thank you very much. Like I wasn't, mm. you know, it's a gift I've received just sitting here listening to you. So thank you for that gift. Well, thank you for thank you for giving us the space and making this connection. You know what I mean? Making, you know, Ashley and I haven't had the opportunity to have like a substantive conversation like this ever before. And so this is really cool. This is really yeah, lucky. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah and I hope y'all have more. I mean, yeah. I want to listen to you <laughs> yeah, talk more about poems and life and faith and all of it. Yeah, and so and so in the fullness of time, maybe maybe and so in the fullness of time, we'll, all three of us will get to break bread and like actually sort of spend real corporeal time yeah you gotta come to birmingham i'd love to i'd love to absolutely and maybe maybe sometime on this as this book comes out and as the world opens up again we can do like a little a little co-reading once your book comes out too yes. yeah that'd be great yes awesome. that'd be awesome okay well one thing i would love to hear about is the ways, and this is for both of you, um, the ways themes of belonging and separation are woven through your poems and your the other writing that you do. I'm a spiritual director and a writer, and I view faith, doubt, and mystery primarily through the lens of belonging to ourselves, others, the world, and God. And I believe art deepens those belongings. Other things can deepen those belongings too, but making and engaging art are how my belongings are usually deepened. So that's what I like to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, belonging and separation in your work and some of the ways you experience belonging and separation um, personally with regard to faith, the process of writing and others art that you engage. So, and if you don't hit all those questions, that's right. fine. I'm throwing this out there. It's a beautiful thank question. You, so. Thank you. Yeah. Ashley, do you want to, do you want to start or do you want me to? Ha ha ha. I heard you saying that before you even said it, Kava. Um, <laughs> I will happily start. Well, maybe happily is too, too much. I will start. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was thinking about how I would answer as you were asking the question, Charlotte. And I think where I want to begin is how poetry, I guess writing in general, but specifically poetry made me feel like I belong here. And here means a lot of different places here on earth, here in Alabama, mm. 
here mm. in my black body. Um, mm. You know, I think the poets who instruct me, like Lucille Clifton, Gwendolyn Brooks, Nabila Lovelace, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all these other poets that we've mentioned, those people kind of let me know that I could enter the room. And again, the room is many places. It's the planet. I could enter the planet and feel like I belong. Mm-hmm. I could enter my blackness and feel like it was enough. Because, you know, growing up, I wasn't always sure that I really belonged, you know. As I said before, I'm like a weird person. And people always say, you're not weird, but like, I know that I am, you know, <laughs> like I'm a poet. So there's like some inherent weirdnesses there, which I don't mean negatively. I just mean like, I don't know, I see the world like a poet sees the world, which is just a different way. But, you know, being in Alabama, being a Black person who's not affiliated with a church, that was definitely something that made me feel unusual, being someone who, you know, was really into books and, you know, imagination. And I don't know, I just was a weird kid. And I always was like, how can I fit in? Like, I love being Black. How do I be Black and be me, you know, at the same time? I don't sound like, you know, my grandma. I don't sound like my mom. I don't sound like whoever. But I still want to be invited in. And so when I found these poems, you know, I always tell the story of the moment I decided basically that I wanted to be a poet, which was reciting the poem Harriet Tubman by Eloise Greenfield in second grade. Mm. When that poem like left my mouth, I finally heard myself as a black woman or a black girl at that point. But I, I saw myself like belonging finally. And even though like my poems don't sound like that poem necessarily. Like, I feel like I'm I'm doing the same thing. I'm making space for people to feel like they belong. And then also just like with the community that I found, like we when we started this, this podcast, we were talking about a mutual friend um, who mm-hmm. connects us. You know, I feel automatically comfortable with Kava, even though I've only ever seen him glittering in the distance at, um, <laughs> you know, different conferences. <laughs> because of that family that I found, through poetry, I felt like, okay, cool. I belong here with Kava, who is, you know, one of these amazing, like, poets who we all look up to. I feel like I belong, you know, because we both speak the language of poetry. Mm. The separation part speak- is maybe, yeah. say again? I'm oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, we. I was just gonna, sorry, I didn't mean it. I was just gonna say we both speak the language of being vetted by Nabi, you know what I mean? Like if Nabi, if Nabi yes. loves you, you know what I mean? Like then, then you're a good there's person. no way you can, <laughs> thousand percent thousand percent so like i loved you before yes. even like you know what i mean sorry continue exactly, you were gonna exactly. say separation no well no yeah i was gonna i was trying to hit all these points um yeah, I'm type yeah, yeah. A, so i like you you know yeah absolutely, uh, but absolutely. <laughs> for separation it's kind of the same thing like i felt the most like separated by poetry as well like you know growing up in america or the quote-unquote western world whatever you know i definitely haven't been taught Black poets as much as I should have been. And I have Mm -hmm. also been like instructed away from writing about my Blackness, you know, in the workshop, which is another word for separation, I think, um, Mm -hmm. in the way that we use it. Mm -hmm. You know, I've definitely felt like I didn't belong. People have said things, people have done things, whatever, that have let me know that they don't think I belong in any particular room. But luckily poetry is bigger than those people and bigger, I think, than separation also, Mm -hmm. because poetry is the greatest conversation. Poetry is prayer. And what is prayer but a connection, as we said before, bringing it full circle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's, I'll, I'll leave it there and let Kava pick it up. 
Yeah. I mean, I can't improve upon any of that. That was beautiful. That was really, really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe I'll just say, you know, I was born in Iran um, and came to America as a young child. And, uh, and when we came to America, my parents banned speaking Farsi in the household because they wanted my brother seven years older than me. So he was in school. So he was struggling in school because, you know, he's coming from Farsi speaking schools immediately into English speaking schools with no like, you know, ESL programs like they have today or anything like that. Right. And so um, he was really struggling. And so my parents in, you know, I mean, you can understand why they would do it ban speaking Farsi in the household, but consequentially we lost our, we lost our Farsi. And so I, I don't speak my first language. I mean, I, I've learned, I, I've taken, you know, classes over the years and gotten tutors and stuff, but, but I don't really speak my first language anymore. So I was, you know, I have spent my whole life separated from the country and people uh, with which I was born. You know, I've never um, sat in a classroom uh, and seen another person who is from, you know, I've never been in a class with another Iranian. I've never, let alone like a classroom full of Iranians, you know, I've never in a room full of Iranians. I feel like the least Iranian person because I left when I was a kid and I don't really speak the language fluently in a room full of Americans. I've certainly never felt American, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's a lot of separateness. You know, there's a lot of separateness that I feel, but in poems I find amongness, you know, I remember when I was a kid, it used to trip me out that like when I was sad, I would want to listen to sad music. You know what I mean? Like I would, it kind of stands to reason that when you're sad, you would want to listen to like, you know, Weird Al or like the Berenstein Bears or, you know, like some goofy, happy stuff or whatever. But whenever I was sad, I just wanted to listen to like sad sack ballads and, you know, and this sort of thing. And I wondered if that was like some weird masochistic streak in me. But I think, I think what it was and what it is, is that, when I was sad and when I am sad, I want to hear someone else be like, yeah, I was sad too. And I lived to sing about it, you know? And I think that's the sort of amongness that poetry gives me the sort of fortitude that poetry gives me, right. Is the amongness of the resilient, right. The amongness of those who persevered long enough to write, you know, and, and it's a profound privilege, you know, to, to get to add my little whispers into this conversation that has preceded me by millennia, you know, to, to get to, to get to whisper into that conversation is the, is the bedrock privilege upon which I built my life, you know. That's, you know, hearing you both talk about your belongings and your separations helps me feel like I belong, you know, I mean, it sounds like we're all, you know, and maybe everyone is familiar with that space where it's like in between two different things, you know, that's where I feel a lot of separateness personally, like with the Christian faith is um, I don't feel like I belong to any particular place along that spectrum of what faith would be, but I do feel more connected to that spectrum of belief and unbelief. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, So I just 
appreciate your honesty uh, about the ways that you experience belonging and separation through through your art and through music and relationships. And uh, yeah, yeah, I am very grateful right now <laughs> for all of this. Yeah. And- as am I, as am I. And one more thing I just want to thank you both for is your your generosity to each other and to other poets and, well, except one whose name I won't mention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Albert Korn. Yeah, yes, his estate really is going to be coming for us. Um, They're not going to be coming for me. If you're listening yeah. to this, don't even try it. I have nothing for yeah. you. It is. It is I, uh, Billy Collins. If you, uh, <laughs> oh, if you, if you uh, are angry about anything that I, the poet Billy Collins, have said on this co- podcast, please contact me at. Uh, uh, I forget what my website is, but just Google Billy Collins. I'm sure you'll find my email. Wow. Oh goodness. Um, <laughs> we're gonna. And then I think all these people, if they come for anybody, they're going to be coming for me. So I'll just (laughs) pretend like, I I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just a um, creative nonfiction writer. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. Well, I would love to end on this final poem from Pilgrim Bell that we will hear today or here in this episode, How Prayer Works. And cool. I know yeah. Ashley loves this prayer. I do too. And so we might have a few things to say after it. And then I'll wrap Ooh, did it you up. you hear what she said? Ashley yeah, loves this I prayer. I did just hear that. I did it's just prayer. hear that. Oh my God, I did. Ashley loves this prayer. Yeah, that was great. No, I love See? that. That's what it that's is. Beautiful. That is what it, it is. is. It is. Okay. That's wow. Beautiful. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Pre- preserve that. Put that in the footnotes. Create like just like a three second sample of you saying this prayer. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean I to will. just be like shouting out demands like a little salt. No, it's great. Um, uh, <laughs> this is um, this is how prayer works. Tucked away in our tiny bedroom, so near each other, the edge of my prayer rug covered the edge of his. My brother and I prayed. We were 18 and 11, maybe, or 19 and 12. He was back from college where he built his own computer and girls kissed him on the mouth. I was barely anything, just wanted to be left alone to read and watch The Simpsons. We prayed together as we had done thousands of times, rushing ablutions over the sink laying our jandamazas out toward the window, facing the elm which one summer held an actual crow's nest full of baby crows. Fuzzy, black-beaked fruit, they were miracles we did not think to treasure. My brother and I hurried through sloppy postures of praise, quiet as the light pooling around us. The room was so small, the twin bed took up nearly all of it. And as my brother, tall and endless, moved to kneel, his foot caught the coiled brass doorstop, which issued forth a loud brong. The noise crashed around the room like a long, wet bullet shredding through porcelain. My brother bit back a smirk, and I tried to stifle a snort, but solemnity ignored our pleas. We erupted, laughter quaking out our faces into our bodies and through the floor. We were hopeless, laughing at our laughing, our glee, an infinite rope fraying off in every direction. 
It's not that we forgot God or the martyrs or the prophet's holy word. Quite the opposite, in fact. We were boys built to love what was in front of our faces. My brother and I on the floor draped across each other, laughing tears into our prayer rugs. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I do want to hear real quick, Ashley, one thing you love about this prayer poem or poem prayer. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't sharing real quick, and then I'll say something I love about it. And then we will sign off. Awesome. Well, not awesome because this is fun, but awesome because (laughs) things must end. (laughs) This is fun. (laughs) Yeah, this poem really, I hate to say, it touched me. That's such a like cliche Hmm. thing to say, but. No, no, that's the aim. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of what I know prayer to actually be. Like Hmm. so often in organized religion, we get caught up in the vocabulary of being religious, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a specific way you have to pray. And, and I'm just speaking from the Christian standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, there are some people who have the vocabulary down, you know, to a, to a science yeah. almost, yeah. but it's not a yeah. science anyway. Yeah. So yeah, listening to and reading this poem, it just like reminded me of those moments where it's just the laughter and like, that's the prayer or the knowledge that there's yeah. this relationship between you and another person or like, you know, the last bite of, you know, an ice cream cone or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. like that good thing yeah. is the prayer. Yeah. yeah, 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 that good thing is the prayer. I mean, you could stamp, tattoo that on my forehead. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I mean, it's kind of in line with what I tell some of my clients, my spiritual direction clients that Mm-hmm. when they get really stressed out about what prayer is supposed to look like or how they're supposed to pray or the rules of prayer, which I try to, you know, move them away from all of those things or that sort of mentality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we talk a lot about how prayer happens to us and how, you know, it's when we don't expect it sometimes. And it's, I mean, we can definitely pray, pray like in with intentionality, but oftentimes mm-hmm it'll happen to us. And so it helps me, you know, have a bit more freedom about what those rules are. Totally. And this poem reminds me of that. And I also love just, you know, to touch on the idea of belonging, how it's, it expresses this sort of belonging that you and your brother had through prayer and laughter Mm -hmm. and the beauty of, of your imperfect prayers. So, mm. yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel like your spiritual direction clients are really lucky to get to work with you based on this conversation. Well, I hope they appreciate it and enjoy it. I mean, I love to do it <laughs> because I feel like I'm more of who I was created to be when I'm practicing spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I'm glad I get to do it and I'm glad they they meet with me so that, you know, from a selfish That's standpoint. Beautiful. That's so lucky. So. Yeah, totally. Well, now you've totally. got this blurb, uh, Charlotte, I to do. put on your, yeah. <laughs> your advertising. <laughs> your, yeah. your clients are so lucky to have you, Charlotte. Yes, I will blurb that. <laughs> yeah. Or I will let you blurb that on my website or whatever. Absolutely. Just, Listen. Just kidding. No. <laughs> I don't know how many clients you're going to have who are like, oh, man, Kava Akbar said <laughs> <laughs> this, this fucking poet that I've never heard of. You yeah. underestimate yourself, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, those are the clients <laughs> I would want to have. I'm like, okay, you know him. Let's yeah. let's do it. Okay, yeah, well, let's wrap this up. Thanks again for this. I've thanked you 
probably a dozen times already, but um, it's been wonderful. And I look forward to both of your books uh, being received by readers and yeah. people who will feel less alone in their bodies and in the spaces they inhabit and in their faith and doubt. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Charlotte, for inviting me to this space. And thank you, Ashley. Um, please, everyone, make sure to check out Ashley's book coming in September with Hub City Press. Check out Nabila yeah. Lovelace's uh, Sons of Achilles with Yes, Yes Books. Check out, <laughs> yeah, Basil Moyadine's uh, The Displaced Children of Displaced Children. Wait, and Thank Charlotte has a so book much. too, Charlotte. Charlotte, you have a book? I haven't read your book. I'm sorry, Charlotte. Oh, it's okay. What's your it's book? okay. What's your book? My book is called The Great Belonging, How Loneliness Leads Us to Each Other. Oh, I love it. It explores That's a great title. loneliness and belonging, which I think, um, Ashley, you were talking about how all of your poems are the same poem. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, everything I write is there are elements of belonging and mm. loneliness in there. And that's, it's, I'm probably just writing the same thing over and over. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> same. Yeah, you don't choose your obsessions. And where can, where can our, uh, where can our listeners find a copy? Oh, anywhere you buy books. Um, yeah, but it. you know, and you know, the sh- you'll put a link in the show. I notes. will, sure, I will put a link in the show notes, and you can. <laughs> these show notes are going to be legendary. So um, I can't wait. All right, that's all for this episode of Our Faith in Writing. Thanks so much for listening and giving your attention to the ways writing and reading help us belong to ourselves, others, God, and the world. I'd love for you to visit us online at ourfaithinwriting.com, where you can find more information about my spiritual direction for writers and other contemplative offerings, read essays and articles by writers who care about faith, and learn more about our partners and sponsors. I'd also love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Charlotte Donlin. Subscribe to Our Faith in Writing wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review the show, letting us know how these conversations help you feel less alone in your writing life and your reading life.